Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Um, on Sunday evening, after Ireland had uh, been defeated by England, there's a lot going on in the WhatsApp group that I'm involved in. Uh, just the one. Just, well, one of the one of the many ones where I was like, naming eleven players and saying they should be dropped <laughs> <laughs> within minutes of full time. No, possibly minutes before full time. It must be said. Um, Did uh, Gordon Darcy rip off your article that Gavin Comiskey wrote? For I don't know. <laughs> I didn't get around to reading that one. Anyway, drop um, him. Just as uh, minutes after the game. Anyway, uh, a friend of mine said, "I don't know what you're all getting so head up about. Isn't this exactly just what we expected?" And I immediately felt a lot better. I was like, actually, yeah, this sort of is what we we expected. We maybe were uh, a little too carried away with the Wales result, but overall, what we'd said before the the, the Six Nations that we weren't certain about the uh, Farrell not having any experience as a as a head coach, and we're unsure about the, the credentials of the rest of the coaching ticket and the consistency of selection with the Dodge year of twenty nineteen. So we went over to Twickenham and we got beaten by 12 points. It's not, not, it's not that big a crisis, or it's not that surprising. No, well, Hugo, I, you, you said we were going to win 16-15. Yeah, I, I, was, was, I, was, I was far more circumspect, but I was. I didn't expect us to be that bad. So just to <laughs> presage with all of that. Yeah, no, I was the one who was getting carried away, as always. Uh but as, as you uh, pointed out just a, a few minutes ago earlier, we lost by 12 points at home last year. We lost by 12 points away this year. Now, uh, they had a better team out last year, but they were at home this year. So it's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not the disaster maybe that, it, maybe that it's, uh, it's being reacted to be as. <laughs> That's not a sentence. Maybe people's reactions are a little bit over the top. Uh, that sounds like it's everybody else's reaction. Like it I, is. <laughs> Perfectly <laughs> sanguine. <laughs> I thought it was uh, I thought it was abysmal. Well it was. But also shouldn't have we expected when we we're being put under that much pressure by a big physical England team with something to prove. Yeah, you know? and, and you know, one of the best teams in the world, one of the two best teams in the world. But Ireland are one of the best teams in the world. But England Ireland are actually one, of the, one the of the best teams in the world. We're the eighth best team in the world. Judging by the quarterfinals of the World Cup, at least. Which is the best thing to judge from in any... Like, out of all... Out of your four calendar years, when everything else is decided by ranking points, the best time to judge a team is on that the basis of that tournament. Well, I mean, subjective between all the different losers of the quarterfinals, but, like, we were fucked in the fucking quarterfinals. So, I'm saying we're the eighth best team in the world. That's probably not a million miles away. This so, has got off to a wrong start, I feel. But no, no, no. I, I think I, I, it, it's what my saying, thing. My thing is that my worst fears about this Ireland coaching ticket 
and again, I come back to like, look, these are my biases, but I rewatched the match. I mean, certainly, I obviously watched the match, and I've I've given up Twitter, so I don't get distracted by social media the way that I used to do. I have done for the previous five years or whatever, six years. I don't know how long it is. Uh, during the match, which I have to admit now, um, of my own habits, and I was just like, God, this is like this is awful. This is awful. Like, I mean, the, the the bit that got me and I was chatting about it earlier was Young's uh, Marler and Laws going off on about an hour, like slapping each other on the back and laughing to each other. And like in their heads, the match was completely won. And they were right. The match was completely won. Like it was an absolute done deal at this stage. England scored in the next few, they scored another try in the next few minutes. And they were 12 points up. And this is a team, this is an England team that gave up a 31 point lead less than a year ago in a proper competition against Scotland. This is like this is a better this is actually a worse English team because Billy Vinopolo was playing in that English team. And Stuart Hogg wasn't playing for Scotland, right? So talking about England, and Eng- England have developed since that, right? That they've had a very, very good World Cup tournament and I think those massive events really stand to you. But going into the World Cup, I had doubts about England because I'd never seen them put together a season and I'd never seen them put together 80 minutes. And that Scotland match was one of the one of the flagship events, right? So to see guys go off as, as cock a hoop after an hour, you're just going like Ireland are completely broken. Like we were and like if there was one minute where we completely broke, it was when Itoje stripped the ball from Killer on a one on one, like on a one on one. Because we'd actually started the second half all right for about the, the minute and a half before that happened haven't had an absolute disaster of a first half. And as soon as that happened, you're sort of going, oh, God, even with their dander up, like, this is going to go wrong. Because, like, Killer's already played 15 minutes. Like, he's got a whole half to go here. Like, he, it's not like Keane Healy is going to do 55 and then Killer's going to give us a lot of pop. It's like, you know, Killer's going to have to live with this now for the next half of rugby. And that's not to pin, like, the whole match on that incident. It's just, like, that That was the final nail in the coffin. It was only halfway through. And that to me was like, Jesus, this is this is terrible. So there was this sort of discussion afterwards in the studio and Raj was sort of making the point, like, it's only 12 points. Like we're, we're not that bad. And that's why I think we're, we're not that bad, but like we played that badly. Mm. It was the worst. And I was there thinking, well, it was the worst performance since when? Like since we got absolutely tonked in Cardiff last year. Like that's the most disappointing thing. Just like still for and me. We were as shitting, such, shitting the quarterfinal as well. Ah, we were... We were, yeah, yeah. I think in the quarterfinal, I, I always, I mean, the All Blacks, reading, again, reading Kieran Reid's book, referring to Kieran Reid's book a lot last week, like Kieran Reid pretty much blacked himself out in the hacker with the level of expectation and focus that he had in that match. Like he was, he was, the All Blacks were absolutely ratcheted up for that game because Ireland had beaten them twice in like the World Cup cycle. Um, and like they unleashed a fury on us, but the, the the atmosphere before that match was was really really good in terms of like just preparation and sort of noise and you know fairly low level of expectation for Ireland given what it, you know we've been beaten by Japan and we hadn't impressed against Russia or Samoa, but like the Welsh match was like oh, far weaker. I was like there. the Welsh match was appalling. It's dreadful. Appalling. I mean, whereas the the All Blacks played particularly well against us, I thought. And they yeah. stopped us. Like we, we got close to unlocking a lot of things. Now we didn't, but and we lost a load of contacts, which is the most important. And we made thing. a lot of mistakes. And we made a lot of mistakes. 
But I still think the Welsh match was, was a worse performance. Did not hear. Oh, yeah. There was certainly the not hear of Joe Schmitz. Yeah, it was a very bleak. I was there, as you know. It was a very, very bleak game. Uh, and I don't... like. We were very poor against England there. And I felt the game was up when they kicked the penalty to go 17-0 up. Uh, and, you know, both tries were very disappointing. Uh, now, I have to commend Eddie Jones on his and his analysts on you know exploiting the space that they found is there Mary Kinsler wrote a very good article saying that Ireland generally defend 14 and 1 outside there sorry uh, 13 and 2 outside their 22 and then they go to 14 and 1 in their 22 because obviously there's less backfield to cover there's not as much depth to cover and the English halfbacks Ben Youngs and, and George Ford exploited that brilliantly on two occasions but they were both they were both bad errors from Irish backs. Sex for the first, Stockdale for the second, for them actually to score. When you concede tries because you've made mistakes, certainly sometimes you can think that the, oh, the game's just going against. I generally don't think that. I think, oh, that's just a mistake. You know, I, I thought England were going to score in the first like it took them eight minutes to score. I thought they'd score in half that time. They were very impressive. But it was, for me, it was really when it went to 17. That's a, that's a real bogey figure in my head. I don't know. I think the, I think the Argentines might have gone to 17-0 in the quarterfinal in 2015. It just strikes me like at, at international rugby, that is a huge deficit to come back from. So again, just like in, in the, the first half against New Zealand, it, it was say, 33 or 34 minutes in, you're going, boom, this game's lost. Like, I had already sort of switched, I'd accepted that as the reality, and then it's the, uh, uh, afterwards I was sort of looking almost at the positives. So maybe that's why I'm a bit more, um, not, as, not as, as sort of downhearted. But I was very downhearted quite quickly, and then, then, you know, when you're getting beaten in the game, and you think, oh, well, this game's, you actually get used to the idea quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certainly that's how I, I felt about it. I felt the game was was gone, and I was happy that we stuck with it and happy that we scored last and scored right in the eighty second minute. I think it it was a, a small positive to take, but it is a positive. Um, before we get to any positives, let's go Sorry. back to the next. Yes, um, <clears throat> have I mean? Sorry, well, I will reference some of the positives. There was a lot of sort of like these kind of things where you're like, there's individual performances that weren't that bad. James Ryan, um, CJ Stander, Robbie Henshaw. You could see they were really, really trying, but they're like let down by a team that wasn't functioning. But in particular, like the brains of the team, the halfbacks, both had absolutely tragic games. Execution of things that they're, they should be well able to do. Mm-hmm. Just Murray, completely deserted them yeah I thought Murray was going to play well his first two kicks he had two clearance box kicks both of which were really good and I was thinking oh this is Murray's upswing continuing um, uh, unfortunately didn't last and then Sexton just Sexton had a mare and had a tough game from from minute one being run at by Manu Tuolagi I think they gave Tuolagi the ball of each of the first three possessions, as as I seem to recall it, and 
it, it was the start of a long day for John. I, I rewatched the match and I, I wouldn't agree with you. Like, I didn't feel that either of those guys played particularly badly. I thought Jacob Stockdale was awful. I thought Josh Vanderfleer was awful, and I thought Jordan Jordan Larmer had a lot of his deficiencies at fullback being found out. While at the same stage, like not being awful, but just being like we talked about. Big it was going to happen. We, at we some talked. Stage, we talked yeah. about big winger, little winger, and like Jesus, England absolutely just kicked the leather off the ball against us last year and targeted Keith Earls, who was the little guy in the back three, and then targeted Robbie Henshaw, who wasn't accustomed to playing fullback and was probably carrying too much weight for that position. Like by just kicking the ball all over the place and exploiting his lack of um, positional ability with the lack of aerobic fitness, for want of a better description, given the weight that he's carrying. And like on rewatching, I mean, Johnny Sexton made his tackles. I mean, my, my problem with that was like Josh Vanderfleer off the first line, like Vanderfleer is there pointing at, at Underhill. And like Sexton. Sexton and two, uh, Sexton and CJ Stander had two laggy running in between them. But like Vanderfleer was like nine, like five meters behind where that tackle was made. Like pointing out guys that didn't exist. And I think the reason that this vexed me so much was because I look at guys like Vanderfleer and uh, Donico Callahan, and they're the sort of players that I was. They're the sort of like they're. Like they're fit, they they sort of really play well in the system. Like they're really dedicated. They do everything a coach asks them. But like it's all functional, functional, functional. And I know when I played my best stuff, it was like I chose a duel. I picked out who did I have to target on the opposition, what did I have to do when I had the ball. And like I was I was not a good at like I could distribute the ball and I could run poorly with the ball. But like the fact was, I realized the. If you showed up for looking for the ball as an attacker, that was more important. Like you looked up and you said, I'm not going to get tackled by the first guy. I'm not quick. I'm not powerful. But it's going to take two of them to tackle me and I can recycle it or offload it. And that would be like that. That's a win for us, right? As an attacker. But like as a defender, you sort of go, I'm going to get their biggest guy or I'm going to shoot out and get this guy. Like, I mean, for Vanderfleer, not to tackle Tulangi. On, on, like on the first few minutes, was dereliction of duty. As an open side flank, I don't, I don't mean like, you know, lasso him. I mean sort him out. Like in the first few minutes of the second half, Tuolangi ran at uh, Robbie Henshaw and Robbie Henshaw up, upended him. And Tuolangi had to throw the ball back. Now, it wasn't a knock on, it got thrown back 10, 10 metres. But you're going, that's the difference. That's the difference of running at Robbie Henshaw and running at the space where Josh Vanderfleer feels that somebody else should be defending. Like, so to my mind... Maria Sexton are not to blame for that. There's there's a few guys who like had palpably worse games. Uh, like I'm a huge Johnny Sexton fan, you know, but just can't agree with that. Like Sexton, his first goal kick was dreadful. His first kick out of hand was dreadful. A crossfield Gary Owen that made literally went directly across the pitch, maybe a meter forward, and then his second kick off that went into touch and goal. And then he had the drop for the try. Like, that's four mistakes in the first 15 minutes. You know? Yeah, there's a level of expectation, I guess. Is yeah. one of the no, I don't want to throw, like, Johnny Sexton under the bus, but that's what happened. Yeah, they're all fair enough. But, like, Sexton was making tackles as an out. Like, Sexton kept going looking for it. 
And yeah. like, I mean, geez, there's, there was worse than that. Like his first kick out of hand to Elliot Daly went straight down Elliot Daly's. Like you look at what George Ford did. So we're talking about kicking. Like the first English guy who put in a kick, I think was George Cruz. Yeah. Like yeah, England, the, England the knew, grubber. England yeah. knew that like you grubber in There's behind Ireland, you grubber in behind Ireland with like two small guys playing in the back three and like Stockdale's an abysmal defender and Larmer is not a convincing fullback. Like good things are going to happen for you. you. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is going to happen. George Cruz tries it. Like that, that's how confident England were in exploiting what Ireland did. And then George Ford put up like, First time he got the ball, Gary Owen. Second time, distribute. Third time, Gary Owen. And he, like he kicked, he kicked an awful lot. They of, won their first. The ball, they, won the they won the first ball. But like they won the he first was, two. He was going own. forward all the time. Like I mean, Sexton's kick to Daly was appalling, and he was just kicking it away. So I, I like I don't disagree. All the things that you said all happened, and like they were an appalling game. And uh, this is one of the reasons that I, I never agreed. I never thought Sexton should have been captain. Yeah, like, he said it. Shit. He's got enough going on as the place kicker and as, as the guy who, under a Schmidt system, everything goes through him without being the captain as well. And, like, he's an archy fucker, right? Like, I mean, his, his body language is appalling. Um, his, his general demeanour in terms of, like, it's everybody else's fault is appalling. Like, he was... I would never have picked him as a captain. Now, he's had success with Leinster, but, like, sure, everyone has success with Leinster. Like, Leinster is a well-oiled machine. Like, it keeps on going forward. And it's an awful lot better to look good going forward so I mean the reason I have such an, an issue with this is that we're, you asked the question before we went on air about like you know what you do in a certain circumstance with a rush defence and my sort of answer was well like you know Jesus if I wanted to get there I wouldn't start from here and I was curious about like what I thought post World Cup final about South Africa and all I wrote down was like set piece dominance you win your set pieces you have like you have that game plan nailed down and like you know how to upend their scrum upend their line it force territorial possession of dominance the rush defense doesn't really come into it like set pieces set pieces set pieces and england knew exactly what they wanted to do and and ireland didn't so to, to my mind the real like all the pigeons came home to roost for me for the Ireland coaching ticket. Like the, the two things there was, I mean, there was two awful, awful passages of play in the first half alone. And they had the same characteristics. They had Ireland over committing men to rooks, which is like a real oh. hallmark of a Simon Easterby coach team. No, it, doing, goes, it goes long back. It goes long back before that. Does oh, it? I remember. Do you remember? Do the initial rook marks uh, article featured a photo of seven guys standing around, I think one New Zealand. Tactic. Yeah, it was from the 2010 game when, when things were beginning to sort of not go to plan for um, for Declan Kidding, when he was sort of trying to remake a style for Ireland, which which featured tried to get Jamie Heaslip or Stephen Ferris or David Wallace out in the back line as a carrier, and in this game things weren't going to plan, and there was like everyone went back into it. Oh, I'll go to a rock. <laughs> you know that that's the right thing to do. Well, I, I, I have it here, and this, this is why I'm so critical of Stockdale. Like, Ireland, Ireland went blind after 28 minutes in row 22, went blind from a scrum, went to Stockdale. Okay, it was, a, it was a solid scrum. It was a good scrum, good set-piece opportunity. It went Murray as a big blindside, went to Stockdale. Stockdale didn't hurt anybody with the carry. Like, he was meek in the carry. And like this, this is the difference. Whereas when England were carrying, it was it was purposeful. Like you know, you think of Courtney Law is carrying up, and you go, that's a second row playing blindside. That's a weakness for them. But when he's rolling forward and he's playing in Twickenham and it's swinging low, like it looks brilliant because you just have another big man carrying into you, right? So, so it's weak carry, which was the start of it. 
England didn't even bother. England just pushed them to the ground. But like that started early. England just pushed Irish guys to the ground. Didn't even bother competing in the rook. We put four people in that rook. We had Stockdale on the ground and we had Murray at the ball. We had six people, right, within three metres of each other. England's sixth defender was Courtney Laws and he was like, he was, he was 10 metres inside. And these guys were tight. Like, what are you going to do if you're Murray or Sexton with that shite? That, that, like, there was so much that was bad in the first half. And from those sort of situations where we put three or four guys into rooks where, like, one or two guys should be winning it, we then decided to go wide. We decided to go out oh, the back yeah. to Bundy, right? Centre who can't really pass that well because my cat likes going wide. And you're there going, like, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when you've got, like, 10 players and they've got 13 in defence? I think that's... I think that's a key point is I, I saw it when we were during the game I was like oh jeez we keep on going open so often like we're going open against this rush defence just open okay now we're going over to the middle of the pitch now we'll go to our wider side open again and then open again so we can get uh, so we can get to like the edge you know the nominal edge so we can get outside their rush defence but we in my opinion anyway well I think that the game footage bears it out. We had no animation in terms of our dummy runners were, you know, static or not quite static, but passive. And nor did we have sufficient depth that if we were going to pass, that we had time to give and take a pass without getting smashed. You know, now I know that if you have a lot of depth, you run the risk of getting caught a long way behind everyone. And a turnover is potentially calamitous. But that's the nature of if you're trying to play a wide game against a rush defense, is that you have to give yourself the space to get the ball wide, to get to that edge, to exhaust, to one degree, the rush defense. And if you don't go deep enough, and if you're trying to still play, uh, uh, like, a, a, you know, repeatedly going to an open site and play sort of halfway here, halfway there, the grand old Duke of York stuff, like we were... we completely played into the hands of the English defence. But I'd even take it to more elemental, basic stuff than that, because like Shane Horgan, after, immediately after the match, was saying, you know, you know, we need to throw to six, and you're there going, like, geez, that's a winger talking about a line it. Now, I mean, a big, tall winger, but, like, not a winger, like, there's not a winger out there who knows how to, like, about line it, right? So, while technically he's right, that is the best ball to attack off, <laughs> I mean... It ain't that easy. Like that, yeah, that's the most likely the ball to be turned off. But what I would say about winger, and I, like I wrote this down, the first, England's first try was just a catalogue of shitty decisions and shitty executions, right? So this was, I think, the third ball that Ford got. This is another big cross kick, and he kicked it over to Larmer. Mm -hmm. Larmer covered it, which is good. Oh. He scampered. He didn't mark it. He and covered yet, it, but he did it. He, he did it even catching it. He was. Somewhat like un, you, you're unsure about it because he did the thing where he looks over both his shoulders. Yeah, he, yeah, he was turning around. He looks yeah. like he lost it, but like he, he recovered I, it, right? So yeah, you've, you've got, got you've got to, you've got to sort of say like, look, Larmer, Larmer's footballing ability is really good, but you're then going, what you need to happen is like you need your fullback to mark that. Yeah, and he's got his, the situation. He's got his, then you need him to kick. He's facing his own goal line. Clear, clear a kick, facing his own goal line. When he when he catches it, you need him to kick a clearance that is minimum thirty meters which will bring you to Close around to, the halfway yeah. line, inside your own half, but around the halfway line, and hopefully 60 metres, which would mean that he has absolutely creamed it. 
but he has that kicking ability. Now, you don't expect him to kick at 60 metres. But you do hope for minimum, like you expect minimum 30, right? He doesn't. He doesn't mark. He doesn't have the wherewithal to mark it, right? Then he decides to scamper back. And like at this stage, you're kind of going, Jesus, like this isn't going to work well, right? So, so, so Murray clears it. It's not, a, like, it's not a brilliant clearance, but it's not that bad. And Stockdale chases it. Oh. May, May is on the wing. Stockdale needs to drill Johnny May. He needs to, like, he needs May to, like, be in his, in his a, like, sorry, Stockdale needs to be a May's nightmare. He needs, no, 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 no. Yeah, like, I mean, but he, he doesn't because he's in such a difficult situation with them going forward because Stockdale, or because Larmer's decided not to mark it, right? So he kicks it. Johnny May gets the ball 10 metres in the pitch. Later on in the same match, right, May gets penalised for this because he gets Stockdale in the air by what, like less than a foot. Yes, yeah, right? six eight now, inches. It's it's legit penalty. It's on it's on the TMO. It's a legit penalty. Stockdale ends up about five meters off the pitch. Johnny May absolutely owns him. I'll, in the I'll air. tell you something. And actually, like it come, and when I say down to that elemental, if you're not winning those collisions, there's no way. It does. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. You're goosed. I watched that again. I was, I thought that Stockdale. Had made like I just thought it's such a weak tackle, and then when I rewatched it again, Johnny May's foot is not just near the touchline. Johnny May's foot is on on the touchline. That's um, like the ref missed it or touchline's missed it. It's immaterial. My point is that like he's so close to touch that he's in touch, and it's Elliot Daly doesn't do a good job of blocking Stockdale's chasing run. He has a good clear seven or eight meters to run, and he he should really just have drilled May. Like there's, it's so easy to get that right. Like Stockdale should have been going away from that tackle hurting and knowing that like the only thing that was good about that was that May was hurting worse. But like he, he, like he, he needed to be going away from that tackle like with his bell ringing. Not, not sort of going, oh, like I think I have him, you know? Like because you're, you become the hunted in Twickenham very, very quickly. Like if, if you're not the hunter, you become the hunted like, like it's over. Yeah, it's over. And like England scored, England scored from the next series of rooks. Not an awful lot of fifty-fifty games in Twickenham. No, and not against Nettie Jones. Like you, you also know against Nettie Jones that like, if you get past the ten-minute mark, if you can, if you can rope it up, those guys, you've got a chance. But like, you can't sort of lie back and take it. Like you, you've got to throw. When you get the chance to throw an aggressive shot, you have to throw it. And that like. Uh, I mean, I, I'm annoyed talking about it. I can hear. I can hear. Like the thing you were saying earlier about Van der Fleer, um, that back row is the same back row, I'm pretty sure, that started now three games in a row against England. Uh, the f- last year's Six Nations, the absolute tonking in the warm ups, and now this one. And I, it's. Um, it's, it's not a, a back row that's working together well against that team. This is a horse's course of selection. I said this um, before to somebody else. Like, Van der Fleer has beaten the All Blacks twice. You know, like he can play Test Rugby at a high level. But this, this English team is a bad fit for him. But Van, uh, and the, the other thing about Van der Fleer, and go back to my thing, is like he's, he's a very coachable player. He will do what you tell him. So if you set up a game plan like Ireland had in 2016, or sorry, 2018 against New Zealand where he was carrying in wide channels because he's so quick and he busts tackles and he's powerful. 
Um, the one he won against Sevilla, like against like the full yeah. locked and loaded All Blacks team, he played really well in that match. But like Joe Schmidt had a very precise, particular role for him to play in. And see, and this, see, this is my qualm with Josh van der Fleer, is that he isn't a novice anymore. Like he isn't a bloke with ten caps who's just kind of oh, I'm just doing what the coach tells me. Anyway, this is a bloke who's played against New Zealand. This mm. is a guy who's in his what like his twenty. He'll be twenty seven this year. Yeah, and look, I, I I can find the number of caps, but like he's 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 past the novice stage. Like he should know what's involved here. He should know that like you have to win your battles, you have to win your duels, you have to go looking for the man. Like you have to go looking for the ball. And like Peter Omani went looking for the ball. Peter Omani is not a strong ball carrier. We know that, and we also know that he was dropped for the Welsh match, and that he like he probably saw his rugby mortality flashing before his eyes. And he reacted the way that you would hope an international back row would react. As in, he went out and he made it. And like he went looking for the ball and he put himself in positions that he knows, like, this isn't a, like, these aren't his strong points, right? But he did it. And you're going, yeah. he's showing up. That's the bloke who should be captain if he's on the pitch, mm-hmm. right? And if, it would have been you, a- If you, no, I think James, I would have made James Ryan captain. But if you are going on the decision, I'm trying to. Am I contradicting myself? If you were, go- I think I would have. Am I? Yeah. yeah I was. Say, I'm saying like, look. If you don't think James Ryan is ready for it, and you think it's a matter of a season or two, you make Pete the captain. No, you said it. You said well, a number I would of make, podcasts I would ago make that James Ryan you would have made. I'd have made James Ryan the captain. Yeah, but we had this conversation. You're saying that when we were you were talking about your sort of non, your dislike of Sexton as captain, not personal dislike, but in the role of captain, you thought like. If Omani's in the team, make Omani the captain. So perhaps that's what you said last time as well. That mm-hmm. you would, if if it's if he's if he's not going to pick Ryan, it should be Omani. Yeah, yeah. I was saying he should have picked Ryan. Certainly. And uh, and in this in this instance, hindsight is, is obviously very helpful in this, but probably would have been better going in with Omani at seven, Stander at six, and and Doris at eight, uh, because this the back row combination of. Van der Fleer, Omani and Stander has just been beaten hands down three times in a row now by this but, English team. But I'm not I'm not even talking about like again sort of the the sort of the theoretical element of it or like, you know, what should we have done? Just what I saw I was really impressed with Omani. I, I was just impressed by the way he just like he just he got him like he, he went looking for it. And that's what you need to do. Um I also, you know, we commented on Bill Belichick and the sort of the reaction of the Irish players. Like there was a few times, like the body language was appalling. And Bundy made a big turnover at the first half. There was no whooping and hollering. Like the only two guys, CJ and Omani helped Bundy up. That was it. No one else reacted. And it was like, it was like a vignette. You couldn't have chosen a better representation of what Belichick was talking about, about terrible body language, about the lack of reaction to a big play. Like, guys were just sucking it in. And, like, you appreciate, having seen a guy like Belichick talk about that sort of stuff, like, you appreciate the knowledge that it brings. And you sort of go, like, guys like that. Guys react to it. You know? Like, ah, he was... Yeah, but I I think think there are two... Like, I don't think... uh, I think there's both strands to it, though. I don't think it's all just, like... It's all just emotion. Or it's all just technical elements of it. I think there's failures on, unfortunately, in in both regards. On the subject, though, of, of, of say of Belichick and the I know the 
catchphrase of his his would be like, "Do your job." Do you get the sense then in that criticism of Van der Fleer, who I think we all admit is a very good player, especially at Leinster's level, at club level, he's a, he's a spectacular player. Um, is it is it that the we're we're um, leaving the players a little bit more up to their own devices? Their their their, their instructions are less clear, and and you're saying a player like Peter Manny with his wealth of experience and his kind of like knows for the fight is like, well, no, this is what I need to do in this situation. Whereas Van der Fleer is like, I've been given a guidebook for my entire international rugby career and now I'm being left up to my own devices a bit more and I'm, I'm not being effective in the game. I don't know why. Maybe there's some of that, like, Van der Fleer would have played. You said, you're, saying, you're saying he's passing off a stage and he should know already. But yeah, he's played know. an awful lot of rugby under Schmidt. Schmidt was the king of the prescriptive game plan. And I think he probably did spell out people's roles and held people to account for not doing their roles better. Like This is a... It's a, it's a sort of, it's not old enough in the two to be a pet peeve, but when players, when journalists go looking, f I think they ask leading questions about these Monday morning reviews. Like, isn't it better that you don't have somebody giving out to you Monday morning reviews? And all the players goes, yeah, it's better. Everyone wants to have a fucking easier day on Monday. It doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> you know, I, I think this, I think that, oh, now the players will free themselves up. It's like, yeah, you got a shit review. Like, he didn't just go around. Like, no, a lot more crack around the cap. Results are a lot worse. But <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> Wrong. Joiner says much more. Yeah. Win bonuses are down. Yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Uh, like, I work-life think... balance is better, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Look, sorry, everyone wants a better work-life balance. Nobody yeah. wants a job. Nobody wants a job where your boss is giving out to you on Mondays for mistakes that you made. But like the nature of rugby is that it all comes down to a highly pressurized eighty minutes once a week, and that's like that's where it all counts. So you, there has to be pressure. You have to experience that pressure, and uh, you know maybe this, that's a sort of a sideline point. But yeah, I think I think you made a good point. I think Van der Fleer is a very clearly a very coachable player. I think he's playing at a like I think he's sort of had his. Like he's he's at the limit of his abilities, Do you know. I don't think he's, uh, like I don't think he's a like a like a natural. For example, like his nearest competitor, Dan Levy's a natural player, much more intuitive player. Um, I'd mentioned briefly before about some of the positives. Now the Italy game has been called off, so when I was calling for eleven people to be dropped, I was I I did mean in the sense that like if you get dropped. For the next game against Italy, it still counts as being dropped. However, we're not going to have that game now, or we might have it after France. But I don't see where it, I don't see where it's getting played. Um, It'll be played in September if it's not played before the end of before the end of this season, because there's no way the RFU are giving up the ticket revenue for one of the Six Nations matches. Yeah, absolutely not. Right. Let's take the positives that I mentioned out of the game. Um, for me, the positives, James Ryan, CJ Stander, and Robbie Henshaw, and Andrew Conway in particular, really, uh, I thought, tried to, on on an individual level, take the fighting, and it definitely wasn't enough of the, of the team, but there were, I thought all, particularly those lads in the forwards, were extremely aggressive, putting in very strong hits, and CJ, I thought, dealt with the provocation he was getting from Farrell extremely well. Anatoje. Um, Anatoje. Um, and I thought then from the bench, 
I thought Kaylin Doris was very impressive. And uh, I thought... Curls um, was good when he came on. Yeah, I, I, I thought... Uh, I was glad to see John Cooney get more time and, like liven up the back line a bit I know the game was dead so it's it's a little bit I felt that he waited uh, Farrell like Farrell uh, you know he, he took the criticism he, he said it, the players weren't up for it that's my responsibility and that's on me which um, I think that's like the right thing for him to do I thought he got a free pass on that sorry come on uh, but he waited far too long to to change the team and change players who weren't performing and like Stockdale had such a poor first half. It actually went eighty minutes in the end, but it was always. Yeah. I was thinking it was actually time for. Ended up with. It's actually time for a GAA substitution there. You know, like you know when they they bring off like a cornerback because he's getting absolutely annihilated. They bring him off after twenty six minutes or something. It was like Jesus, just bring on Earls. I would I would have actually while it's like I would have brought on Earls at half time at the latest. I have to say. Yeah. And I, th- I think even on CJ, just to go back about like how well prepared England were and how poorly prepared we were in, in terms of like mental tune in, coaching, sex, and everyone. CJ received a kick, a restart from England, and he got absolutely Whoa. drilled Tualagi, yeah. by yeah. Manitou Alagi. Yeah. He got up, like he got up, like he got. He was targeted. Like, they knew that CJ Stander is a big player for Ireland. He is a guy, like, who will keep on bringing it, right? So if you can... He's their hard man. If you can take him out of it, like, you'll quieten the yap down of the Irish team. And you got to take... I mean, I love CJ. I mean, the, the guys like CJ, Robbie Henshaw, James Ryan, like, those, those guys who, like, who kept on playing in the face of a torrent, like, I love those guys. Like, they're, they're the sort of guys you pick every single time. I think Test Conway's match. becoming one of those players. Test match animals. And I think, yeah, Andrew Conway has like has, has had a rocky road to get... Mm-hmm. He's an interesting guy. We'll come back to Conway, right? And CJ kept on coming at them. Whereas you look at our kickoff and Tom Curry dawdles... He doesn't dawdle his way. Like, Tom Curry's a very good rugby player, right? But like Tom Curry just strolls out. Like you look at like the kicks that they hit and John, like whoever... Like who who may... Uh, may, may nail somebody. Like as soon as the ball arrived, May had to sort of, you know... Quieting down a stride, and then as soon as her man caught the ball, May, May just, mm. I think it was Bundy. Yeah. May just nailed him. Whereas you look at Ireland's like chasing up kickoffs, and again, Stockdale is to blame here. Like we chase them up, but he doesn't even get close to them. Or he sort of gets close to them, but he doesn't, he doesn't quite get them. Whereas you look at what England do, and it's like, and it comes down to your set pieces so often. They, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And the style of rugby that England played against us, right? Like England bring it back to the middle of the pitch. England's forwards know where it's going to go. The reason they bring it back to the middle of the pitch is they have two playmakers. Now, they didn't. their playmakers went the same side against Ireland, and they knew against Ireland that really what they were looking for was chips in or like kicks in behind. So get into the middle of the pitch. They're going to play 14 up and one back. Their fullback isn't really going to know where he's going to go. He's, he's probably going to go in the wrong place. He's not going to read it properly, and we can just chip through in them. But even, like, I don't know, you couldn't blame Larmer for the second try. England just knew, like, this is the way you play against Ireland. But they also knew that bring it back into the middle of the pitch. But like, they, they could do it with such ease, it looked like a training session. Mm. But they know exactly what they're trying to do. They're so well coached. Yeah, that's one thing I'd say. I think getting back to your uh, your comment on Farrell that he he got it easy. But P- 
people are always going to be easier on a coach in his first year and much harsher on a coach later in his career. Like people were too harsh about Joe Schmidt. Um, maybe they're, you know, equivalently a little bit easier, too easy, say, on Farrell. Um, but Eddie Jones is, has been coaching that English team for four years and they are, they are slick. And I don't just mean the slick handling that I talked about off mic of Farrell and Ford, but in terms of the amount of animation that show how quickly and how hard they work off the ball to get into positions. It's not like they're Japan, they're not at that level. But uh, they do, they're really well trained and they know exactly what they're doing, much more so than we did, which I think that's quite normal and to be expected when this is only Cat and Farrell's third game and Eddie Jones has probably had them for around 40, 45. And you look at the sort of players, like you, they bring in Ben Earl as flanker and you go, geez, you can sort of see, the like if he's not an enormous multi-talented Polynesian, you can sort of see the type of flanker. You can see the sort of back row like that he likes picking. This, this is another, this is another, like Ben Earl's another kamikaze kid. Now he's not as good as Curry or Underhill, but like Curry's a well-deserving nominee for World Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that'll be the last nomination he gets for that award. No, he's deadly. And, and Underhill, Underhill was huge against us. Mm. He was monstering us. Like so many of the big tackles in the middle of the park came as either Underhill on his own or Underhill with somebody else. He was so good defensively. So, and we were talking about Dominator the last time, and we t- uh, who's your man from Exeter who always seemed really good? And I'm, I'm Brandt. I'm Dominic. Yeah, Dom yeah. Brandt. No, that's no, Dominator. No, no, that, that's Dominator. Uh, the Exeter back row who uh, he played really the With number the beard six from Exeter. That. Yeah, yeah, and like Eddie Jones would just never look at him. And at the time, I thought he was, he was just wrong. Like he pretty was wrong, but he he has he has an idea in his head of the sort of back row, and like Ben Earl looks like the sort of guy that Eddie Jones will keep on picking because he's similar to Underhill, he's similar to Curry, like and he sees characteristics in those guys that he really likes, that he really wants. Like he wants that energy and fitness and like bit of mongrel about them. Oh, I, I can't remember your man's name. <laughs> it's fucking driving me yeah, demented. Yeah, yeah. Armstad or something like that. Yeah. Don Almond. I think his name was Don Almond. Oh. <laughs> Don Draper. That's it. Um, Don Perignon. Just like uh, Lucky Strike, Ireland Rosso toasted. Thunder's <laughs> <laughs> in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. Some of the fans not happy with that. Referee blows for half time. We said we were going to get back to Andrew Conway. Um as someone who's sort of had the, I guess, the long road to the Irish uh, the Irish winger's job, unlike, for example, Jacob Stockdale, who has burst onto the scene when he was um, straight out of the under-20s, straight out of the, you know, world finalist under-20s, where, um, and then having such an incredible debut season. I thought Conway was one of the players who continued to take the fight to England throughout the game. Yeah, and he's. Uh, I was more thinking of him in in comparison to Josh Vanderfleer and the sort of the question that you asked about Vanderfleer, like, oh, you know, if the guy is being brought up in a certain sort of coaching environment, you know, like, can't he just expect this? And at a certain point, the answer is no. Like at a certain point, the guy is like a full professional. He gets paid as a full professional. He's uh, he's a super professional, Vanderfleer. He's. 
and yeah, so it's not just that, but like he's also like he's he's an experienced international. Like there's 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 a certain level of performance that you expect from him, and oftentimes, and and this this comes I think in everybody's walk of life where you 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 suffer your setbacks. Like you go into a professional environment, having come through an academic environment, and it's different. Like the People people don't care about the same things that they did care about, or like the management is poor, or the like just the environment yeah. is different. You start it's have not to figuring not, things out for yourself. It's not equitable. Like you're just you're sort of left, and you have to figure it out to yourself. And guys prosper in different ways. And Conway looks like a guy who's prospered into who's finally got there because. He was Ireland's, he's Ireland's best ever underage winger. Like he's better than Dennis Hickey. The guy scored 10 tries at two world, between two World Cups. He scored five in one, five in the other. He was a brilliant underage winger. But like he was a brilliant underage. Like when he was 15, he was brilliant. When he was 14, he was brilliant. When he was 14, he was like he was the best player in Junior Cup. I'm pretty sure he played for five years in Blackrock. Certainly by the time he was in fifth and sixth year, like he was noted as a star. And he was, I think, the last guy himself in Macken. This is in the early days of the academy, who just bypassed the academy because the the threat was of I think it was Munster, like of one of the other um, provinces, just offering these guys full contracts. I I don't think there's been a Leinster player. Like, I think James Ryan even had to go into the academy. Oh, he did, yeah. Um, and they, they they've never done it since, right? So Conway was marked from a very young age as being a superstar, and he's not a superstar. I'm, Conway's he's, debut came under Cheka for Leinster. That's a long time a long ago. Time ago. <laughs> yeah. I he I was at his debut. Against the Scarlets. Yeah. It? And he did and two brilliant. He scored. He did two deadly things. Like yeah. the, the first one wasn't he didn't touch the ball. He just made an incredible chase back tackle. Yeah, I remember that. Age Germano. Underneath the Anglesey stand. Yeah. Amazing. Like that's a decade ago. So I mean, like th- this guy was destined for greatness, and it hasn't happened. As it as it's happened is he's he's earned his stripes as a fully professional. Super Dave Kearney. Super Dave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a real pro. I remember reading this book ages ago. Talking about a team from ages ago. It was about the Sheffield Wednesday team who didn't win anything. But they, they got the two cup finals and they finished second or third in the league. And John Sheridan playing for that team, was yeah. it? Yeah. It was and whoever's, whoever, it might have been Waddle's book, right? I'm trying to think like who from that book. Like, but he just goes, it was a team of pros. It was a team of men. Like, you looked around. There wasn't a weak link on that team. Like, there was very few stars. No foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> this was, it was before the Premier League. There wasn't any foreigners. Like, it was, you know, you were foreign if you're from Northern Ireland or something like that. But, like, it was Conway's, Conway's from that ilk. That's what it sort of strikes me as. And he's well for it. Yeah. And these are the sort of guys. So, like, you were talking about the way the French team get picked. And I know there's an awful lot of uh, concentration on the guys coming out of a very successful 20s, two back-to-back 20s team for France, right? But, I mean, traditionally, France have had the numbers that the guys have played pro de deux mm-hmm. and have played a number of seasons. And then they get picked for France. They get picked when they're 27 and 28, yeah. when they're big grown men. When, like, when they've proved themselves. They're like, they've played 150, 200 games of pro rugby at that stage. So, and part of this is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I'm sort of going, oh, we should throw in like load of young lads. And like the guys who get sort of named as being dropped should be like CJ and Peter Omani. And you're there going, the third guy in that back row does not need to go in. Like Keelan Doris does not need to go in beside Jack O'Donoghue and Max Deegan. 
to, to learn oh. the ropes. Now, those guys are good players, but like he needs CJ Stander beside him. Yeah. So fine, like you want to pick like Jack O'Donoghue ahead of Peter O'Mahony, so be it. Like if, if that's the way you want to go and pick your team, like okay, because I always go back to Gaddy picking his like his five his five guys after the the. Oh, I'm the reading Gatlin's book, by the way. I'd like to read that one as yeah, well. Yeah, we'll get back to that. But the. The, the sort Kevin of the, like the like you look you look at Larmer you look at Stockdale who had immediate success and you go like it isn't an upward graph at some stage everyone has to learn the lessons right Conway learned his lessons off Broadway mm-hmm. and now he's playing really really well and he's having the sort of season that you would have expected him to have five or six of yeah back when he was under yeah. twenty right he was one of the best players I ever saw at school's level. He was amazing. I think if you were picking like an like a, a schools team from the last twenty five years, Conway would be one of the first names on it. Or like going back even further, he'd be one of the first names on it. He would definitely be one of the back three. It would just be. It wouldn't even be a question. It would just be a question. Like himself and Hickey would be on it. No way, Robbie or McQuintry. <laughs> <laughs> himself and Hickey would be on it. Yeah, definitely. And then you've just got to Darcy. decide like what Full position Darcy at fullback. Yeah, there you go. That's no, picked Carney, Robert. Carney. Carney at fullback. Yeah. Did you not see him when he was at Columbus? Darce got paid for fucking Ireland. Oh, <laughs> in school. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking shit Irish team. <laughs> anyway, good question, yeah. Um, I, we are, like, I, I actually like Jacob Stockdale. Uh, Everyone likes these guys. Yeah. So, but uh, I, I feel he played so badly against New Zealand as well. That's the other thing. Like it's it's not a one off. You know, he had some horrific decision making uh in that game. He had that really bad drop for Ulster against Leinster. And you have this another enormous brain fart uh, in this game. Like we were mentioned Dennis Hickey there. Like Dennis Hickey got dropped earlier in his career. Like Dennis Hickey, when he broke through in '97, was another absolute golden boy. Oh yeah, like a super golden boy. But you remember he had that stinker against uh, Stefan Terblanche. Attack, 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 Terblanche. And they four attacks. Terblanche scored four tries in him and broke Hickey's cheekbone. Yeah, and but Hickey came back a better player. So this this he is the did point. come back a better. This player. is the yeah. point with you're not saying throw Stockdale. This away. is the point with Stockdale, and this is the point I think with the with the competition that's there with Earls, and this is the this is the thing for Farrell that Farrell's got to make, and it isn't just a matter of like having wholesale changes wantonly just 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 because, but like Farrell's got to figure out. What's the best for his coaching tenure? Because like my concern is, given the coaching ticket that he has, it's not going to get much better. My, this, this was my concern a few weeks I'll ago. I'll tell you. And here's here's something. Just I'm just going to no, I'm going to talk over everyone. <laughs> Look at the Munster coaching ticket with Roundtree and Larkham. Look at the Leinster coaching ticket with Rob McBride, Stuart Lancaster, and Felipe Contepomi. They're both better than the Irish coaching ticket. Say the Ulster one is as well. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm. It, it just struck me. I was walking home the other day, and I was. I can't remember what I started thinking about. I thought like, wow. You know, this is that's a, that's a real thing. So he needs uh, Lancaster. Sorry, end that there. I said the wrong thing. Farrell needs to. Yeah, F- Farrell needs to win games. Uh, Jerry Thorny is. I think he's 
correct in saying that, you know, Irish fans have become very sort of overreactive. When he says Irish fans, I think he's talking about the horrific abuse you see on, on Twitter and other social media. But there's no doubting that the quickest way to shut that all up isn't by addressing it in the media. It's just by winning the games. So you need to win games. How you win games? You pick your best players. Who are your best players? The players who are playing the best. So much of it goes on playing form players. Okay, but when I was saying about making wholesale changes, I was talking about playing an Italy team who are playing like the worst I've ever seen them. Playing some of the dumbest, oh, shittest yeah. rugby I've ever seen played by any team. Like they're probably worse than both their club teams. Uh, uh, no, why does, uh, I don't think they're worse than Zebra. Zebra aren't good. Benetton are good. Yeah, well, don't it, conflate the two. Like, okay. Well, anyway, I always, I would have felt the kind of going, well, the fifteen lads who are out there and let themselves down, or we all let we've all felt. Our, I I let myself down. And I'm going to give the lads another chance to prove it. Like that would have been a horrifying selection to see. Going, oh, he's just gone with all the same players again that have just like. Nah, no, to me, non. Like there's no point in changing. It's not because there's no point in changing players, but like when you're playing a team against Italy, yeah, of course you can throw in. You can make seven or eight changes. Where are we going you on tour this summer, though? You, Australia. Australia. You right. don't. You don't. This is an Italian team. When you're playing against them at home, you're not going to learn anything about the caliber of players. If you play John Cooney and he plays well against Italy, you're going, yeah, no fucking shit. He played well against Italy. They're rubbish. Like. The time to play Cooney was Scotland. Was in the Scottish game, and some of the, and it doesn't mean that Murray's thrown away forever. It doesn't mean that Murray, your career is over. It's like you, you just change the pecking order. You go, Cooney's now playing fifty, and Murray's getting thirty. Oh, Murray did really well at the end of that game. Now Murray's going to start and play fifty or fifty-five, and Cooney's going to get twenty-five. You actually build your depth that way. And it sounds like I think the way that fans talk about it is that um like it's the coach's job to sort of fulfill their fantasy football ambitions like it's like the when you're when you're coaching an international team and it doesn't go right for you like the you might get a chance again like there are sort of second acts like you know you said after the scottish matches i think Stuart lancaster is going to be coaching that irish team before the next world cup Eddie Jones has come back from exile in Japan. But like yeah. Eddie, Eddie Jones had to earn that exile. But for like Stuart, Stuart Lancaster is is earning in his exile. But for these guys, for the most part, and certainly like for, for Eddie O'Sullivan, for Declan Kidney, and like so far for Joe Schmidt, and like Joe Schmidt is on a, a year sabbatical. Now I anticipate that Joe Schmidt will be back in rugby and he will be successful wherever he's at. And we don't know where that's going to finish at, right? But like, certainly for Kidney and for Eddie O'Sullivan, like it never got any better after leaving the Irish job. So like for these guys and for Andy Robinson, it never got any Frank better. Frank Haddon. Frank Haddon. Jeez, you can go a lot of you know, like Mark it, it, Lieberman. Yeah, Philippe Sanandre. Like it's it, almost it, everyone. You know, it, it just, their job is to win matches in the most pressurized environment in the hardest. Like their job is to do best for them and the team. So they have to make the call when they drop somebody, when they change the team. 
like how do I drop somebody and not destroy his confidence? So it's not just a matter of, like it's it's not just like I'll drop Murray and like you know your yeah, career. Yeah, I'm is being unrealistic. You've, you've got to you've got to convince Conor Murray that his career isn't over. That him not playing international rugby is actually a good thing for him now. That it'll somehow allow him. Like you've got all that sort of messaging that that's. Yeah, for me, the message to, be, to Conor Murray would be simple. Uh, you know, you're going, you're out of the team. You're not playing as well as as uh, John Cooney, but you're a competitor or a competitor. So, oh compete. yeah, that's, that, that, that's fair enough. But like, yeah. that has to work as well. <laughs> like, and that's the difficult thing. Like, the fact of it working is out of your hands. The fact of like, the, if it works, it's in. It's actually in Murray's hands. But like, your reputation is going to be banked on what Murray is doing. And that goes through for pretty much every professional environment. Like the longer, the further you go up the ladder, the more you're going to rely on the people that are around you. Mm. And, you know, you surround yourself with ability and... You have weightier decisions to make. Yeah, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. But he's... I go back to it. Like he's... Ireland are going to struggle with the coaching ticket that they have for things to get significantly better. I agree, unfortunately. I agree. It's, um, I think, uh, sorry to return to something which we talked about in, in part one, but Cat has a particular fixed idea of how he wants Ireland to attack. And it's based on having three, a lot of pace in the back three, but how we get the ball out wide uh, against at a Defensive system which you can adopt any team can adopt it that's a massive issue and look it, it so and this isn't that Farrell's not the right man to be the head coach like looking at the match Ireland targeted Ford and got to Ford a few times like but it, it didn't matter because like Ford could tackle Bundy like, you know, Conway broke through him, but like we, we weren't flooding through the gaps because we were being beaten so comprehensively everywhere else that our grand plan like didn't really matter a whit at the end of it. And this is one of the this is one of the truths of coaching at any single level. Like you have a sort of a, a tactical master plan for how you want the game to work out, which I think it did for Ireland against Wales. And we talked about it the last time. And then you sort of find out that really the game is all about just getting, the coaching game is all about getting nuts and bolts of your team fastened as securely and tightly and getting the highest number of them right. It's not just a question of like you get half of them done right and that's enough. Like you want to get 95% of them done mm. properly of all the bits and pieces. And you come back to the Monday morning coaching review and you go like, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And this is this is this is the bit that frustrates me the most is that because Schmidt had such an awful last season, kind of every, everything that went beforehand was lessened, which is dreadful. Because the further away you get from it, the more you go. To, I think to paraphrase Johnny Sexton, like how did he manage to achieve that? Because, and I, I felt, and I, like again, I'm obsessed by this. Is the thing I return to the most, apart from the Irish manager job, is the is the demographics. Is that like Schmidt, Schmidt, like put in James Ryan, Stockdale, Porter, Larmer, all these guys, like from Ireland's sparsest year, demographically born, right? Whereas in another year, like in a few years' time, there'd be two James Ryans, there'd be two Larmers, there'd be two Stockdales. Like whoever's coaching Ireland at that stage, is going to look pretty good. Talking about. Uh I just getting on to 
Gatlin's book, when he talks about coaching a team, coaching an international team, he, one of the things he says is that you can't rely that things will carry through from tournament to tournament. says you have to reset your fundamentals every prep that you go into, every so every sort of Six Nations window. You have to go, these are our fundamentals. This is how we have to do things. But you, you've both just talked about the kind of innate conservatism of like head coaches needing to win games and needing to pick the experienced players they no, think I'd are going to win No, I'd say you pick the players. Why do you say innate conservatism? Because like it's harder to get, it seems like it's harder to get out of the Irish jersey. Oh, that's such, well. At the moment. Yeah. But I, I have never said pick the conservative players. I've never said pick the experienced players. I said pick the team who's in form. Like you, but but you he's can't. not doing that because John Cooney's been playing better than uh, Conor Murray for more more than the allowance that having a career as good as Conor Murray's would give you for being the lesser of two. Well, like, Conor Murray's been Ireland's greatest ever scrum. Yeah, yeah. So, but he, no, so, not, he gets, so he gets a massive allowance for being. I like, wonder. No, I've never form. said like I would have picked Cooney for the first game and the second game and the third game. I would have taken him to the World Cup. And questions why he didn't get brought to the World Cup. Yeah, we? well, we did. So um, all of those things have been asked. No, I don't, I don't think your premise is right there. I don't think your premise is right either. Like, I mean, Jurgen Klopp has, has made a silk purse out of a good few sow's ears in that Liverpool team. The most obvious one being Divock Origi. But like the second one being Jordan Henderson, who's been talked about as the, like, the footballer of the year. I had a turf Henderson out of the club about four years ago. Whereas Klopp has made him the captain. No, Rogers made him the captain. Rogers made him the captain. Klopp has kept him as the captain. And like he's made him a mainstay of a successful team. Like a linchpin. A linchpin of a successful team, right? So con- conflate that with conservative. That, that's not like your job as coach is to make the best of what you get. And whether that means making the existing players better or bringing in players who will do it better. It doesn't really matter as long as they get better. That's mm-hmm. like that's the that algebra. Of it. Yeah, that's the algebra of it. The other thing I was saying, this is well, no, sorry. The, the reason I was saying innate conservatism was that I was suggesting wholesale changes for Italy game, and you were saying no. My, that my wouldn't point, prove my, anything, and they wouldn't get any. Well, my point was no. You can always make changes against Italy if you're playing them at home. Italy are dreadful. Like I would have made those changes as well, but it, it doesn't mean that you go out. Oh, we we beat Italy. 38-3 or 48-9 or whatever. Of course we did. We would have beaten them 48-9 with the other crowd as well. My point is that we should have played those players who were in better form in the first game. It would have set a good it would have set a good tone for the for the new uh the new manager would have maybe drawn a line underneath the, like this 2019 malaise after Essentially, five or six really good years. There's one bad year, one bad apple amongst six. So uh, that was that, sorry. Maybe I didn't make myself clear. That was that was really what I meant. It wasn't that I wouldn't have changed players. It's just like you could play. Like if Leinster went and played that Italy team, like Leinster would put stick forty on them in Nansen Road. And so really, like the match that's important is the French match, and the like whether the Italian match is in the middle of it or not is is irrelevant really. So who does Farrell pick for France and what sort of performance do Ireland put up in Paris? I don't think it's irrelevant though if you're getting players 
debuts and you're giving them a chance to get into the Irish jersey and impress. I mean, are you saying that like basically beating a shit team, it doesn't count? No, what I'm saying is the match that counts is the French match. And what I'm saying is I would have made... I've already had visions of Billy Burns kicking four penalties. (laughs) 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 Ulster's uh, Billy Burns was the star turn in Ireland's humiliating (laughs) 56-12. Glory days. Yeah. Somehow Sebastian Villars is still playing for France. His son will (laughs) probably play. His son is probably playing. All the rest of them are. Someone needs to stop him. Uh, the postponement of the Italian matches does actually leave the possibility of our under 20s getting a Grand Slam uh, slightly more far away. Um, they hammered England uh, in, was it uh, Northampton's ground on, I have, on Friday? I, I haven't seen the wording. Have all those matches been postponed? Yeah, all three of them. Mm-hmm. All three of them have yeah. been postponed. We can't play the 20s game in a neutral venue or anything because no. there's obviously a far smaller crowd. Yeah. Well, the the all the three of the games all have been three of the games have been postponed okay okay yeah they played in Franklin's Gardens uh, which is a super stadium and I, Leinster put had a great first half against Franklin's Garden or against Northampton uh, a number of years ago 2013 yeah <clears throat> but I don't think it was quite as good as this Irish under 20s first half which was uh, as good a performance as I've seen from a national side as good a 40-minute performance as I've ever seen an Irish national side put in. They were outstanding. And an absolute... It was like rugby heaven. Such an enjoyable and, uh, at times, breathtaking performance that I really can't laud it highly enough. And I, I saw less of the match against England than I did of the Scottish match and the Welsh match. I thought against Scotland... Scotland were pretty more awkward... And I thought it was a great match for Ireland to win because that 20s level is such a momentum tournament that guys, it's it's such a big deal for those guys to play at that national level because you're representing your country and because it's the gateway to professionalism. Mm. So like you, you spend two years sort of in college like getting paid buttons while like training your loaf off and you're kind of going, geez, like I'm giving up a good bit here. Now you don't go on and on about it because... It's not the guy. Like it's, it, there is a professional outlet for you, but it is a big thing. So if you win that match, there's an awful lot of confidence comes from it. And then from McNamara's point of view, he played this. <clears throat> I'm gonna say faintly ridiculous system against Wales, where he'd only put one guy into each rook. So they played like a like a one two 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 system or something like that. Like or a four pods of two. Like Ireland only had one guy in each rook and it was like it was stupid. Because they just kept on getting turned over with easy ball. But they still beat Wales very well. And then against England they played really, really well. And they adapted really quickly, right? So it was a good it was a sign of a coach like adapting rather than just continuing to do some stupid ideological shit. And like in particular Crowley, like the number ten. And I was there thinking we got a QB controversy coming on for the next decade. Because Harry Byrne played two years in the twenties and was very impressive last year. And it was very impressive like when he came on for Leinster against the Ospreys. Putting in about four tackles in a row, like proper tackles. We got who put in that one yet? Oh. H. Nice. Kicking you can do a touchline conversion, throwing a pass that set up the uh, setting up James Lowe with a no look pass. Mm. And then you look at this guy Crowley and you go, like these two guys could play 
There's an argument to bring them both to Australia. Sure, aren't we lucky to have them both? Sure, aren't we lucky? But the, the genuine is, I mean, these guys are class. The pair of them are class. And it's, it's, it's really going to be a matter of which of them gets picked first and sort of gets their coaches sort of seal of approval. And they like both who, have. Who is a big match? Because like, they could both do the job. Yeah, they could. Uh, Crowley would be coached by Larkham. Which is great for well, I'm talking for Ireland. Oh yeah, but it's great yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, obviously Harry, Harry Byrne is being coached by Felipe. Felipe, which is you know, so they have absolute outstanding positional tuition. Um so you know the future is, is really impressive. Uh, it's not just it's not just uh, the, the oh, it's not the just them. There's a few guys. I mean, your, your man Hearn, the big streak of a fella, like he's six Dun, foot nine. Don't like, like, yeah. He can run. He's he's like he, he, and this this goes back to like the way they named the panel. We talked about it. We'll repeat it again. He's water park. Like Crowley's Bandon. Hearn is water park. And the RFU made a point that these guys aren't all Michaels and Rock. This isn't the only place that they're coming from. Like. I remember Devon Toner standing outside clubhouses and you're sort of going, geez, like that guy, like he's got to bend over going in the door. Like, I look remember house, seeing look, him in the smoking garden of Rio's. Look, <laughs> look house, Reaching up onto the roof and doing like stuff was, like that. He was so tall. He was such a stretch and you're sort of going, Jesus. But like, he wasn't the athlete and he didn't have great hands. He was, and he's made a great career for himself. But you look at a Hearn who's six foot nine and you're going, that bloke can run and that bloke can handle the ball. And he'll get bigger. Like, what happens to six foot nine guys is as they get older, they get bigger. That is the law, right? And you're kind of going, Jesus, like, you got a good one there. Um, and he's, he's not the only one, you know. You all look Stewart, at Stewart, that guy who didn't play, who had the mumps. He played, he played really oh, well the against hooker. the hooker yeah. for Ulster. And you go, like, all these guys are coming through. Soraka, the under-19 blind side. Uh, Ivan Soraka's older or younger brother, rather. Kelly, the centre, the exile Dan centre. Kelly, yeah. 13. Yeah, Andrew Smith, the really well-balanced uh, left wing, who does, scores all those mad rugby league, one-hand jumping touchdown tries. McCann, the number eight and the captain, oh, who offloads captain, and yeah. handles. So, like, there's a whole Another bunch. Sean O'Brien. And like Ireland won the Grand Slam last year. Tom and then Clarkson. You see Hodnett starting and scoring for Munster. And win the man of the match. And win a man of the match. And you're kind of going, no, like it's reassuring. Like, and the great bear too. Stealing a line out and then going Jesus. 75 metres. Then it's stripping their winger. Yeah. So like you've got to be optimistic about the level of talent that is coming through. Um that's just that that's why they deserve like decent coaching and a decent level of belief like Irish rugby is Irish rugby is on the up I am firmly of that belief hmm. it has I, to be numbers wise it just has to be yeah they say the spirit moves in mysterious ways sometimes the way it moves looks plain berserk Two things you should be slow to criticize. A man's choice of woman and his choice of work. Some work will earn you top dollar. In this here tinsel town. That's why I started thinking of something else. Cause they couldn't film the spirit from the waist on down. Sometimes I don't sleep too well. Jordan Beckham 
Love on the board.